We're going to be in the Psalms for a little while. We'll see how, Lord the, how long the Lord keeps us there. Don't know for sure, but we're going to be in the Psalms for a little while. We'll be in Psalm 130 today. If you didn't realize it, that's what we were singing during that second song was Psalm 130. And, since he won't brag on himself, ever, I'll brag on Josh, if you didn't realize it. Some of you were singing that last song like you knew it, but you didn't, because Josh wrote that song. That was a Josh Bell original and a beautiful song I feel like he wrote, based it out of the Psalms. So, pretty awesome. I agree. Um, two things before we get into this today. I'm going to challenge you starting July 1st. You can use, excuse me, there it is. Challenge you starting July 1st. You can use this link to read through the Psalms in a month. About five Psalms a day is all it takes. This, this link will take you to a link that breaks that up for you, or you can just do it on your own. Read five a day and you'll get through it in a month. Um, I'll put this back up there at the end. If you are a note taker, at the bottom of the note page, there is a link where you can click and it will take you to this link. I've got it set up to do, to do that for you. So fbcdan.com slash notes. You take notes, email it to yourself. And again, that link is also on that page for you. So that's your challenge. And I'll remind you of that at the end. To read through the Psalms, the entire book of Psalms, this month. You might want to set aside a week for Psalm 119. Other than that, you can get through it pretty, you can get through it pretty easily. So we're going to spend some time in the Psalms, um, and without a bunch of build-up or anything like that today, let's just get into it, okay? So here comes the Psalms. What are the Psalms? It's the devotion, prayer guide, songbook for God's people for thousands of years. It wasn't originally written, all of them, as songs, literal songs, as in written words to music. Uh, it was, most of them were originally written as poems and then put to music later on. It's, it's, it's 150 Hebrew poems that for hundreds and hundreds, really thousands of years, have been sung as songs to, to God. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's the Tehillim, is the title for this book. It means book of praises. Tehillim is book of praises in the Hebrew, the original language of the Psalms. The Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, used the word psalmos for Tehillim which means songs sung to the accompaniment of a stringed instrument, is what the word literally means. The Vulgate, which was after Jesus, the Latin translation, so they took the Greek and translated it into Latin because that was the language of the Roman Empire. We call that the Vulgate. Use the word psalmorum, which is similar to the Greek, and that, and that word also meaning stringed instrument. And then the King James adopted that word from the Greek and from the Latin, and so we have the book of Psalms. That's why we call it the book of Psalms. That's where that comes from. Psalm has become synonymous in English with the word song. That's what it, that's what it basically means to us. Uh, in this entire book, right, practically in the middle of your Bible, it's in the section of the five wisdom books of the Old Testament. You've got 17 narrative books, five wisdom books, and then, and then 17 prophetical books, 17 sermon books. Right in the middle of the Bible is your book of Psalms. There's about 100, not about, there are 150 of them, 150 psalms. David is credited with 73 of the 150 psalms. He is credited with authoring 73 of the 150 psalms. He is called, if you've never caught that before, the beloved singer of songs or Israel's favorite singer in 2 Samuel 23.1. David organized the temple ministry with its singers and with its musicians. 
the sons of Korah, the musicians of the, of the temple. The sons of Korah wrote 11 of the Psalms. Asaph wrote 12 of the Psalms. King Solomon wrote two of the Psalms. Ethan wrote one. Moses wrote one, Psalm 90. And then there are 49 of the 150 that are anonymous. We do not have uh, a named author for those Psalms. It is believed that these, that these Psalms were put together in the order that they were put together as they are now during the time of the exile when Israel was, was exiled um, to Babylon. And there's a reason why the Israelites needed that at the time and it's the same reason why we need that now. So this book, uh, it, it, it ends with five poems of praise to God. The last five psalms are poems of praise to God that begin and end with hallelujah or praise Yah, which is short for Yahweh, right? God's literal name in the Hebrew, I am who I am. Yahweh is how we pronounce it now. We're not exactly 100% sure how to pronounce it because they never wrote it with the uh, vowels in the word. We're not 100% sure how we say it, but we say Yahweh, God's literal name in the Hebrew. Praise the I am. Praise the everlasting only God. Hallelujah. That's how it ends. Five Psalms that begin and end with that in mind. Now, the Psalms are organized into five books of Psalms. You may not have ever noticed that, but there's book one, book two, book three, book four, book five in the Psalms. Okay? Each of the five psalms that end, each of the five books, end with a very similar phrase that say, May the Lord God of Israel be blessed forever. Amen and amen. And then another book will start, and then it will end that way, generating a theme of the book. Most of the psalms can be put into two categories. Okay? They talk about everything under the sun. Everything that it is to be human, live in this world, in a sinful world, and still try to praise an everlasting God. They talk about everything. But you can put them into two general categories. That would be psalms of lament and psalms of praise. If, if, you, if you look at every one of them, you can put them into those two categories. Lament. What is lament? Not something that we talk about or even entertain as a possibility of being human lots of times these days. These are prayers of pain, of confusion, of anger. They're placing attention on what is wrong with our world and asking God to do something about it. The, the, the word we use most often for that now is mourning. But it's more than mourning because mourning generally just deals with loss. And that's really the only time that we even remotely allow ourselves to lament these days. But we should lament. A great portion of the Psalms are dedicated to lamenting. God, I can't take this anymore. God, do something. God, how do, we, how do we exist in a sinful world? How do I exist with myself that I can barely stand to look at in the mirror sometimes because I fall so short of who you are and what you deserve? It's lamenting most, many, many of the Psalms. Most of the first three books, book one, book two, book three, most of those are Psalms of lament. This is, lament is the appropriate response to sin and evil. Lament is the appropriate response to sin and evil. Noticing that the world is broken and crying out to God for that. We must lament. I think a lot of our, this is a side note, I think a lot of our depression and anxiety and a lot of the issues that, that, that are so prevalent in our, in our modern day society, I think a lot of those come from a lack of lamenting to God. A lack of feeling the hurt, feeling the pain, feeling the confusion, feeling the anger going through what we call negative emotions. But I think they're, I think they're, 
they're human emotions. I think they're necessary emotions. And, and Psalms does a great job of, of bringing that to light and bringing that to us so we know how to bring that to God. Then you have the Psalms of praise. This is joy and celebration. It's bringing attention to what is good in our world. It retells the stories of what God has done and it thanks Him for those things. Right? And we like those. Those are awesome. We love the Psalms of praise. The Psalms start with an introduction. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are an introduction that tell you what the rest of the book is going to be about. Really, it tells you what all of Scripture is about, to be honest. If we look at Psalm 1 first, starting there, How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path of sinners, or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates it meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water where water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not survive the judgment and sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. The word in the Hebrew in verse 2 for, for what we should meditate on, what we should think about, what we should hear and listen and listen to listen and, and take it into our heart. The word there for what we should listen to, the HCSB says instruction, yours might say law, says many things. The literal word in Hebrew is Torah, or we say Torah usually in English, but the same thing. And that word means teaching. Now it's become synonymous with the law of Moses. The Torah and the law of Mo Moses have become synonymous for obvious reasons. Because that is the ultimate teaching, right? God's law is the ultimate teaching. But it's God's teaching in general. God's way of life. How to live. How to try to follow Him. Okay? The Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible is the law of Moses. We should meditate on the law. But we should meditate on God's teaching in general. All of it. So Psalm 1 says, Listen to. Fill up your mind. Stay aware. Stay conscious. And think about God's ways. His teaching. His law. All the time, so that you know how to live, is what Psalm 1 tells us. Excuse me. And then, think about this. The book of Psalms is arranged like a second Torah, like a second law of Moses. Five books, right? A second five books of law. And it is quoted a lot in the New Testament, this book. This book that I feel like we just either ignore or take for granted. So much in this book that is, that is there for us to, to just know how to live. And I don't just mean like making decisions. I mean know how to live, how to feel and think and adjust and work through this thing called life. So that's book one. Meditate on God's law. Meditate on his ways. And then Psalm 2, second part of the introduction says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Holy cow. We're in the Psalms and we're already talking about Jesus. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a, with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. I started in verse 7 if you didn't catch that. In verse 10, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate the rule, His rule with trembling Kiss his son or pay homage to his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Him being who? God's son. Him being 
God the Father. Poetic, this is a poetic reflection on 2 Samuel 7, where God promises that one day he will come and establish a messianic king. And this messianic king would establish the kingdom of God. He would defeat evil, rebellion, the nations of the earth. So Psalms is established in the, in the introduction. In these two Psalms, as the prayer book of God's people who are striving to be faithful to the Torah, to the teachings of God, the way of God, as, the, as, the, as they wait for the messianic king and kingdom. That's a quote from, from Tim Mackey. So the Psalms teach us not to ignore the pain and suffering of this world, but to in that to keep our eyes looking forward to the messianic king. That one day will come and make it right. Make it all right one day. We know, we now, excuse me, we now have the joy and privilege of knowing something the writers of the Psalms didn't. They're looking forward to this messianic king. We know who he is. We know his name. Yeshua in the Hebrew. Jesus in the English. The savior of the world. And we long for his return. We have seen his coming, but we long for his second coming where he will truly establish the messianic kingdom forevermore. Oh, Lord, bring it soon, please. So that's how the psalm starts, and it's setting that up, and then it's saying, hey, here's the rest of it. Here's the rest of how to do that. But right there in the beginning, something's coming that's better. Hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years before Jesus, Looking forward to someone that was coming, someone to fix it, someone to make it right. So today we're looking at a psalm out of book five. It's, it's, a, it's a neat little section in book five. You can, if you have good eyes, you can see there 120 through 124 is the song of ascents. The song of ascents. Okay? Uh, this, this, that's what this section is called. It's 15 psalms, uh, sometimes called the pilgrim psalms. Your, your, your Bible may use that as the title. Now we know that three times a year according to God's law, that the Jewish people, the Israelites, the Jews, they took a trip to Jerusalem for three annual feasts. Okay, And if you didn't know this, it elevation rises as you go to Jerusalem. You literally go up. You ascend as you go up to Jerusalem. It's on the side of a mountain. Not a huge mountain, but it is elevated. So to walk to it, you've got to walk up a hill to get to it. You have to ascend. So Passover's in spring, Pentecost is in early summer, and Tabernacles, or the Festival of Feasts, or the Festival of Weeks, same thing, three names, very confusing, is in autumn, okay? Three times a year. Now, it's said that the pilgrims, the, the, the Jewish people on this journey, would sing these songs together as they journeyed to Jerusalem, as they journeyed up to the temple, these songs of ascent. They would sing these together, and it, it almost retells Israel's history and the things they've been through in these 15 psalms. So it's a reminder. Think of that. The people of God going to God's house for these three big, huge, basically celebration parties that they had to go to every year. And as they go, they're singing these songs to remind them who God is and what he's done and what he's going to do and what they're looking forward to. That's a beautiful picture to me as they walk up the hill to Jerusalem. They sang these songs. Now, tradition tells us that, we don't know this for sure, but tradition tells us that the, the, the temple court may have sang each one of these songs on each of the steps ascending to the temple at the temple because there were 15 steps that led up to the temple and they would sing one song and then go up and sing one psalm and then go up and sing these 15 psalms as they ascended up the steps to the temple. We don't know that for sure, 
but it's really cool to even think about that being true. It is to me. Maybe you're not cool like me, but I think that's cool. Huh. All right. So Psalm 30 is also, I know this is a lot of information, and for those of you that don't like a lot of info, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm making you learn today. But <laughs> what's in here matters, so we might want to learn something. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, Psalm 130 is also the sixth of the seven penitential psalms. There's, there's seven psalms all throughout psalms that are labeled the penitential psalms or the psalms of repentance. The writers are experiencing suffering, and it seems they're experiencing suffering from God's discipline mainly because they have sinned. These psalms are Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, which is a big one that we'll get to later in this series, Psalm 102, Psalm 130 that we're on today, and Psalm 143. These make up the penitential psalms. So there's all these patterns and all this stuff going on in psalms. So much to learn, so much to help us learn how to be human and praise God at the same time. So, all that said, Psalm 130. This beautiful psalm that we sang today. I'm reading it to you out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible Translation. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I call to you, Yahweh. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Yahweh, if you considered sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. I wait, Yahweh. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord. And with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem Israel from all its sins. Amen. What a beautiful Psalm. This psalm emphasizes what God does for helpless people who cry out to Him for His mercy, is the way Warren Wiersbe says it. Psalm 130 specifically is a reminder that no matter what the cause or what the need, when we cry out to God, He's faithful to hear our cry, and in His goodness, we'll bring the mercy and grace necessary for the change that we need as we cry out. Let's dig into this psalm, see what God has for us today. So he starts there in the first of it. Out of the depths I call to you, Yahweh. First off, right here, right off the bat, the psalmist is crying. Now remember, these are poems, okay? Now I hated English class. But what do you think they meant by what they said? I hated that stuff. But this is poetry. There's more meaning than just what meets the eye, okay? So out of the depths I call to you, right off the bat, he's crying out to God from the depths, what is that? That's anguish. That's no man's land. It's a figure of speech expressing that this person is in an overwhelming situation. He's in the depths, right? In English, sometimes we translate that word deep waters, right? What is the sea a symbol for in Scripture? It's for sin, for evil, for wickedness, right? And what does all that cause? Pain and suffering and anguish. Out of the depths I call out to you, Yahweh. He's painting a picture. He's in an unwinnable, unenviable, terrible situation. He's calling out to God with all that he has. And here, right here in these first two verses, 
He uses two different words for God, which is cool. This is one reason why I like the HCSB, because when in the Hebrew they use the word Yahweh, they say Yahweh in the, in the HCSB. Most of the time in other translations it says Lord, which is not wrong, but it loses that Hebraic effect. I like the way the Hebrew says that. He says Yahweh, I call to you Yahweh, which we've already talked about, God's everlasting name, right? God's name name, that's his name. God's a title. Yahweh is his name. I am who I am, the everlasting one. I will be what I have been, and I'm going to do what I have done. He's unchangeable, ungoing anywhere. He is eternal. He's the everlasting God. That's what his name means. He is Yahweh. But then he says, Adonai, right? I call out to you, Yahweh. And then he gives him a title, Lord, Adonai. Lord is the word we use for that always in the English. Lord, I call to you. Lord, I call to you, the everlasting God. My Lord, hear me as I, as I cry out for help. You ever been there? I'm not going to spend any time here because I could spend the rest of the time here. But have you ever been there? Where you just cry, God, just, are you even listening? Can you hear what I'm saying? Please do something. If you haven't ever been there, hang on. Because <laughs> you will be eventually. Whew. It's a tough spot to be. And he goes on. Yahweh, again, calls him by name, right? If you considered sins, Lord, who could stand? If you considered sins, God, who could stand? Yahweh, if you marked, if you kept a record, if you, if you actually do what we think God does, right? Well, I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven. If he actually did it that way, if he actually weighed our good versus our bad, we'd have no chance None. That's what the psalmist is saying. God, if you considered sins, if you kept a record, if it actually was a scale of my good versus my bad, I would have no chance. No chance to be in your presence. No chance to know who you are. No chance to experience forgiveness of sin. I would be punished because I would deserve to be punished. Everlasting. But instead, I have an everlasting gift of eternal life. Is what the psalmist is saying. God, if you considered sins, who could stand? Nobody. Right? And then again here, same pattern, right? Yahweh. And Adonai, God by his name, and then God by his title. There's, there's many different ways that Hebrews used poetry. They didn't rhyme, okay? So it's different than the way we use poetry. They didn't rhyme. They, they had effects, two truths or, a, or two opposing truths, a bunch of things like that. So notice that that, Yahweh, Lord, Yahweh, Lord, Yahweh, Adonai. But, <laughs> y'all know I like that, this isn't the way. It's, God doesn't do that. He doesn't weigh out your good versus your bad because if he did, you'd have no shot. But with you, there is forgiveness, he says. Because, because that's the way you are, God. You, you are our forgiver. You are the forgiver. You are the forgiver, God. That word there, shalakah in the Hebrew. I love the way the Hebrew language looks. It's really cool. It's forgiveness or pardon. Three times used in the Old Testament. The idea of forgiveness is used a lot. But this word specifically, three times. Here in one, Psalm 130, in Nehemiah 9.17, saying the same thing, similar situation. And in Daniel 9.9, 9, compassion and forgiveness, Daniel says, belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him. This is a huge, huge part of who God is and what he has done. And catch this. Because of his forgiveness, he's revered. (laughs) 
We want him to be revered for his smiting when we're pointing at who we want to be smited. But we don't want him to smite us. We want him to forgive us. And because of that, because of who God is, you are the forgiver God. Because of this, you are revered. What an opposite way of the way we think of how reverence comes. This word here is really cool. Yadre, yadre, to fear, to revere, to be afraid, depending on how it's used. Same word used over and over and over and over in Leviticus when saying, don't do this, you should fear the Lord your God. Fear, that word. Or do this, you should fear the Lord your God. This word is worship, is what this word is. Same word when God tells us over and over and over and over and over and over not to yare, not to yare, not to be afraid of anything else in this world. He is the only one that we should do that to. He is the only one that we should revere. He is the only one that should cause us to act or not to act out of reverence or fear or what is to come. Only him. Catch that. Being fearful of anything in the world is the same as not worshiping God to God. That's the way he looks at it. Because if we're afraid of something in this world, we're saying we don't trust God to be who he says he's going to be and to do what he says he's going to do. That's the word here. Because of his forgiveness, we should look at him that way. We do look at him that way. He is revered, not for his wrath, although he will be revered for that one day. Ooh. Thank you, God, I'm going to be on the right side of that. But he's revered here for his forgiveness. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? I think that's something we should keep in mind. Then we get here, the chorus of the song today, right? I will wait for Yahweh. I will wait and put my hope in his word. I will wait for the Lord more than watchmen in the morning. More than watchmen in the morning. Why do you repeat something in a psalm or in a poetry? In poetry? To make a point, right? Don't miss this. It's, it's driving home the point. Who are the watchmen? They're the ones keeping guard, keeping watch. They eagerly anticipating. It's not a watch like it's not a sit and wait like this, All right? If you got watchmen doing this, right? If our three guys in the red shirts are doing this right now, that's not good. They're watchmen right now for us, diligently waiting and looking eagerly, expecting, awake and alive. This word here is yakel, to wait, to hope, to expect, to wait and trust for something to come. It's the word that Noah said, or that said about Noah, when it says he waited seven more days and then sent out his dove. Why? What kind of wait are we talking about? Expecting dry ground. He's expecting something to happen. He's not waiting with his thumbs twiddling. He's expecting God to do something. Same word. Eight times Job, in Job this word is used. We all know this. If you, most of us know the story of Job. Hard story. This word, he says here, is about continuing to hope and wait with expectation for the Lord to do something. Think of what Job was going through. He was, but he was, he was waiting for the Lord to do something. He knew it had to be better. Had to be something. Had to be something coming. I had not planned to say this, but I'm going to say it. I told Josh this and Kelly this already. That's been my prayer recently. For the first time in a year and a half. I prayed 
for something good, not knowing what that means. It's easy to lose and forget how good God is in the midst of lament. But that's what I've prayed recently. God, I think I'm ready for something good. Whatever that is, I don't know what that means. But I'm trying to prepare my heart for that again. As much as that hurts, it's a weird Weird place to be. That's what Job was talking about in Job. This word, Yahel. What a beautiful word. The same word the psalmist is using here. I wait for Yahweh. Not the way we use the word wait. 19 times this word is used in the Psalms. Almost always in the Psalms it's translated as to put our hope in God. Think about that as a waiting. Same word. That's how it's translated into the English. To put our hope in something. Eagerly expecting something better, something good. God, we're expecting God in His presence. In Isaiah, this word is used for putting our hope in God's strength for salvation. And in Micah 7 7, same word, he says like this But I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. It's not a twilling of the thumbs, it's an expectation of something good and better because God is good and better. It's faith. I will wait for Yahweh. I will wait and put my hope in His Word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. The watchmen for the morning were protecting life. More than I desire to live, I'm looking for something good. And what's he waiting on? What's he putting his hope in? What does he say right here? I'll wait for Yahweh. i wait. I put my hope in what? His word, right? I put my hope in his word. Did I put that back up there for you? Are y'all asleep? Wake up. I put my hope in his word. Okay? I put my hope in his word. God's word. Right? Now check this out. Check this out. We're fixed to do something really cool. You ready? As I put up another word to bore you with information. <laughs> I think this is cool. Dabar. In the Hebrew here. Speech. Word. Speaking. God's spoken word. What is God's spoken word? What did it do? It accomplished everything. His spoken word is how creation happened. His spoken word is how he accomplishes everything. How he has, does, and will accomplish everything. Right? Now, I hadn't got cool yet, but it's about to. That's how it says it in the Hebrew. In the 3rd century B.C., when the Hebrew was translated into the English, God used Alexander the Great to give us the Bible in Greek. Really cool. That was for free. Use that on trivia someday. The 3rd century, the Greek conquers Israel, most of the world, translate the Old Testament into Greek. That's what we call the Septuagint, okay? The Greek Old Testament. And the word... In this verse, in the Greek, for God's word is what? Some of you know what it is. What is it? What is God's word in the, in, in the Greek? Anybody know? Somebody say it. Some of you are scared to say it, but you knew it. It's the logos, right? <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. Some of you know where we're headed. God's word. I put my hope in God's word. In the Greek. In his logos. 
right? His logos, I will wait for you, Yahweh. In your logos, I will put my hope. Where else do we find this in the New Testament? Some of you are already there. Some of you are ahead of me. Where do we find it? Where do we find it, Forrest? John, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him and apart from Him. Nothing, not one thing, was created that has been created. And then you jump down to verse 14 in John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. The logos, right? The the psalmist was waiting and hoping for God's word. And Jesus is that incarnate word. The word became flesh. Jesus is God's ultimate communication to man. He is the word, the logos. And the psalmist didn't Realize that at the time. That's just how cool God is. He says, I wait for Yahweh. I wait and put my hope in His Son. Jesus is the way you could read that psalm. says His Word. But we could, we, could, we could put that in there and be completely and totally 100% correct. Theologically and, and language-wise. I wait for Yahweh. I wait and put my hope in His Son, Jesus. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. And we'll finish up here with these verses. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord. And with Him is redemption in abundance. Now, I've done a big thing on this uh, February 29th of 2021. Right? We pre- a message on, on, on kindness. Some of you remember that, some of you don't. Same word used for that word we looked at today is used right here in this psalm. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is hesed with the Lord. And with him is redemption and abundance. Now, if you don't know, now you're about to know that this word is probably my favorite word for God's love. Many words in the Old Testament for God's love. This is probably my favorite. Hesed, right? Goodness, kindness, faithfulness. Often, almost more than any other way in English, it's translated as God's loving kindness. It's his action love, right? Kindness in action, which is really a misnomer because kindness has to be in action for it to be kindness. It's God's love in action. Used well over 200 times in the Old Testament, this word, to describe God's loving kindness, his faithfulness, his loyalty, all wrapped up into this word. In Isaiah, it's used like this, Isaiah 16, 5. Then, in the tent of David, a throne will be established by faithful love, by said, A judge who seeks what is right and is quick to execute justice will sit on the throne forever. Isaiah talking about the fact that God was going to establish the Messianic king through David's line, and that line would last forever. And you and I, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the shedding of his righteous blood for the forgiveness of your sin, and the proof and power of his power over sin and death when he came back to life, proving that he would do the same for you. If you have done that, you are in this everlasting line that Isaiah is talking about. And it comes because of God's hesed. Beautiful word describing who God is and what God has done. It's because of God's 
has said that we have hope. Because of his has said, his faithful loving kindness, he will establish an eternal throne. By his word, he proclaimed he would send a savior. And as his word, literally, Jesus accomplished the saving work on the cross of Calvary. Jesus, the Logos, the word in flesh. By the Father's chesed, I like saying that word, it's fun. His loving kindness has given all the world something to hope in and for. Something to trust. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord. And with Him is redemption and abundance. Today I tell you this. In this one beautiful little psalm with just a few verses. Right there in the middle of the Bible. Hundreds of years before there was a human being on this earth called Jesus that did what he did. God was telling his people then what he was going to do. Point being, for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, I think it would be a good thing for us to spend some time in the Psalms. If one little Psalms gives that much hope and that much knowledge of who God is and what he has done and what he is going to do, what could a month in the Psalms as a corporate body do for us. Friday is July 1st. I challenge all of us to read through the book of Psalms in a month, starting on July 1st. And let's dig in to what it is to be human in a sinful, hurting, hard, but often good and awesome world and still place faith and find a way to praise God through all of that. The Psalms tells us how to do that all the way through. So today, I tell you this, because of God's has said, his faithful love and kindness, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, it's the one thing you can put your hope in and count on. Please do that today. Do it during this time of song at the end of the service. And if, and if you have already done that, be reminded today, just through that one beautiful psalm, of how good God is, how great God is, how wonderful it is to live under His loving kindness, live because and through and for His Word incarnate, His Son, Jesus, His, His, most, His ultimate communication to the world, His Son. Be reminded of how good it is to live for a God like that. Be encouraged in that today. That we don't just leave that in here. That we go out of here. And share that said with the world. I'll pray for us and we'll finish in song. God today thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And your loving kindness God. And thank you for your said. Thank you that in your kindness and action. That you did something for us God. Through your word. Your word spoke it. And then your word became flesh and lived it. To redeem us, God. With you there is an abundance of redemption. You buy us back at a cost. The ultimate cost. The most costly thing ever, God. Yourself. As a human being. Gave up your life so that we could have life with you forever. Thank you for that today, God. May we praise you in these last few minutes together. And then may we praise you as we go out from these walls. Regardless of what life puts in our way. The good and the bad, the great and the difficult. May we use it all to turn ourselves to you and to praise you and to lead a world 
that needs you now more than ever to know you and to see you and to experience your said, your loving kindness. Make us that people, God. In Jesus' name, amen.